Well, good morning, Fort Caroline. As you just heard, my name is Jay Mudd. I am uh, just down in Orlando area, and I'm excited to be with you. I was talking to Pastor uh, Matt this, uh, this past week, and we got to go over some things. And my goal today is to simply just continue the series you're in called Mindset, uh, Succeeding on Purpose. And um, really, we're going to look at this one concept today. So let me go ahead and start with the concept, the big, broad concept of what we're looking at today. It's this, that successful churches have a mindset of increasing generosity of their time, talent, and treasure. And I, I was talking to Pastor Matt, I said, well, this is an exciting one for the guest pastor to come in and preach on is this idea of generosity. And um, I started praying through and started just saying, God, where, where would you have me go with this church that doesn't know me? And I don't know you. How would you, where would you lead our time together? And I began to come back to this concept of if, if you really, um, you know, it's often been said, if you really want to see what someone values the most, you can look at two things. You can look at someone's calendar and you can look at someone's bank account. And between those two things, you'll see what someone values most, where they spend their time and where they spend their money. In fact, I, I, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I believe those are the two things, our time and our money, those are the two things that we probably hold closest to our chest. Those are the things that we often will guard the most. Someone will ask us to do something, and often our answer is, let me check my calendar. Let me, let me think through that and process if that's somewhere I want to invest my time. Money is always a fun topic to talk about, and no one really likes to talk about it. And in churches, things can get awkward when you start talking about money. But as I was praying through this, and as I was you know, contemplating where we should go, where we should land, God kept bringing me back to this one concept. The concept is this, compromise. All right, The idea of what it means to compromise. A Christian author named A.W. Tozer, maybe you've heard of him, said it this way. He said, one compromise here and another there, and soon enough, the so-called Christian and the man of the world will look the same. You see, it comes down to compromise. We're going to give, in order to give somewhere, we often have to sacrifice somewhere else. And that pendulum swims, swings back and forth, back and forth. But when we look to Scripture, what we find is Jesus is pretty clear about what it means to follow him. It takes a total allegiance. He calls us to a complete surrender. And the, often the, time we're not, the reason we're not generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure is because we've swung the pendulum to compromise. We're compromising in one area or not, which hinders us from giving generously, radically generously, of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so I got to clicking around on your website and learning about Fort Caroline, and I became convinced of this one concept, that if Fort Caroline is going to be a church that increases their generosity and their time and their talent and their resources, their treasure... If they're willing to do that in order to reach the spiritually lost in their community through the gospel of Jesus, it's going to take us making serious commitments. Serious commitments to say, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that one goal. Collectively as a church, we are willing to do whatever it takes. And we need to resist the temptations that might cause us to compromise. You see, when we come to the concept of saying, hey, we're going to do whatever it takes, it leaves no room 
for compromise. We have no room for compromise. So today we're going to look at something a little bit different. I can, I can be honest, I've never preached this text when it comes to sacrificing a generosity of your time, talent, and treasure, but I believe this is where God has us today. So we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. If you want to go ahead and find that in your copy of Scripture, if you're using your phone, whatever you're using, go ahead and pull that out and get ready as we look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and we will do our best to get it on the screens as well. As you're navigating and finding your spot, I do want to take a moment and pray, asking God to guide our time together as we navigate his word this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for caring about each and every person in this room. I thank you that you know our lives in and out. You know all the details of our lives. In fact, you've known our lives from the very, very beginning where you knit us together in our mother's womb. You know the things that we are facing currently. You know the things that we are going to face in the future. And God, it's never, it it never, it's always mind-blowing to consider the fact that you know each and every person in this room, those who are even watching online, You know us, and you care about every detail of our life, that each of us could call on you at the same time, and you would hear each of our words. We come before you now at this time asking you to guide our time together as we study your word. We believe this is your word to us. It's penned through man by the Holy Spirit. Would you search us this morning? Help us to hear your words. Help us to acknowledge the truth of your words. Help us to respond to your word over these next few moments as we study together. We ask that you are glorified, that you are honored, that we leave here different than we walked in because of our time together with you and your word. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Jesus is having a conversation here with some crowds, some people who have gathered, and this is what Jesus says. It says in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, talking about Jesus, and he, Jesus, turned and said to them. These are the words that Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, 
Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this, is a, uh, this can be a difficult text to swallow. Uh, Jesus here, though, in this text was being very clear and wanting to be upfront about what it means to be a follower of him. And some people might say, okay, this is the same Jesus who said, love your neighbor and care for your neighbor. It is, is, it, is it safe for us to say that maybe he's changing his tune? Is this a different type of Jesus mentality? I would say far from different. Jesus is staying in line with the truth of Scripture. What he's wanting us to see here is what a devoted follower truly looks like. As we examine that text, if we were to look at that text, which we're going to do in just a moment, few moments, what we're going to find is actually there are some disqualifiers of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says a couple times in this passage, if you are not willing to do this, then you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a follower of me if you're not willing to do this. And there's a handful of disqualifiers in this text. Now, I want to be very cautious up front here, and I want to maybe say a word of caution for those in the room who go, I've heard this passage. I'm familiar. I've been reading my Bible for a long time, and I'm familiar with this passage. I want to be cautious of saying, hey, don't tune out right now. And don't say, hey, I'm going to just uh, do this, and then I'll go out the doors, and I'll grab lunch, uh, you know, and, and I'll come back next week, and maybe there'll be something different. You see, the difficulty comes when we come to passages maybe we've heard before is we, we tend to put our minds on autopilot. And what we need is a mindset that says, hey, look, I'm going to lean in here and I'm going to say, hey, what does God want to show me? Something new that God wants to show me from this passage. So with that being said, let's take a few moments and let's unpack a little bit of what those disqualifiers are that Jesus identifies in this text. The first disqualifier we see is in verse 26. Look again what it says. Jesus begins to teach the crowds, and he says, Look, if you're not willing to hate your mother, your, fa- your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, what Jesus is saying, he says, Look, if, if there is a compromising type of love, you cannot be my disciple. That's the first disqualifier, is a compromising type of love. This is strong language. Talk about grabbing your attention. He's saying, look, you must hate your father and your mother. It could appear that he's saying, hey, look, uh, you know, hate when he's also a God of love. What is he communicating here? He's actually staying in line with the first and greatest commandment, which is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love God with everything you are, are. God must be everything. He must be you know, supreme on his throne in your life, superior. All your affections must belong to God first above everything. Must outweigh everything in your life. Every other relationship you have must look like hate in comparison to your devotion to God. What Jesus is saying here is, look, when your love and devotion for Jesus is so rich and so meaningful and so overwhelming that it changes everything about the way you see every other 
relationship. It takes that top priority. We must ask ourselves, do we have this type of devotion when it comes to Jesus? You see, I, I, I think about when I, back when I met my wife, Holly. Now, I'm married and I have five kids. I brought a handful of kids with me, not all my kids. And my wife wasn't able to bring the trip. But I think we have a picture of my wife uh, that I can, I can put up on the screens. Me and my wife on the screens. There it is. right here behind me, right? And, and, and if you look at that picture, you can tell I, I married way out of my league. Anybody else see that? Okay, there you go. You guys are laughing. I guess that's an agreement. I married way out of my league. When I met my wife, I was uh, younger and didn't have as much gray hair, and I, and, and, but I was smitten. I would, I, would rearrange, I would rearrange my schedule to find time to make sure I showed up in the same place as she was at. You know what I'm saying? I would do that, right? I would send flowers. I would take her on trips. I would take her out to eat. I was a poor college student. I was like, I got to find a way to take her out to eat. I, I want to spend time with her. I want to, I want to be around her. I was, I, was, I was head over heels for this girl. In fact, the moment I met her, I knew, man, that's the one. That's the one. Now, I say all that, but what if, what if after we've been dating for a few years, Holly looks at me and says, Jay, why are you doing all of this? And my response was simply, well, see, Holly, I, I found a book at the library, and it said, How to Get a Wife. And it outlined five steps I could take in order to get a wife. How do you think that would go over? All the ladies went, no way. The guys are like, hey, where did I find that book? <laughs> no, listen, all the single guys, right? And the... It wouldn't go over well because she would feel like, hey, wait a minute, was I just a project? Was that just a project? Was that just something you did because you, you saw an outline in a book? You did all this because of that? It wasn't an overflow of, of really what you felt or who you knew I was. And it wasn't that type of commitment and devotion to me. You see, I, I share that because I think, and I sadly see many people in the church, this is how we treat Jesus. We've got a book. And the book says, hey, Here's some ways you can, and again, if you're a list taker, this is so difficult. If you're a person that likes, anybody in here like to check boxes? Yeah. Hey, this is where we get into a problem. This is where we get into, this is where, we, this is where it gets tough because you're like, I want to do certain things in order to make sure I know I'm accomplishing the task of following Jesus. And so we'll look in scripture, and if we're not careful, we look and we find those different things that Jesus calls us to do, which are real things that calls us to do, and we start checking boxes rather than allowing our heart to move. What Jesus is talking about here, he's like, look, hate your mother, your sister, your brother, every, hey, in comparison to me, let your devotion be. Maybe it's so overwhelming you see, we don't just come to church and check a box. We don't just pray once in a while and check a box. We don't memorize a few scriptures and check a box. We don't maybe just give a little bit of money in the offering box or online and check a box and say, okay, I've done my deed. No. Something changes when it's a heart that's overflowing that says, hey, no, I desire to be with God's people in church. I desire to have a relationship and communion with God, and my prayer life has to grow because I want to know Jesus. I don't give because I'm obligated to. Man, I want to help more people know and follow Jesus. I want my community to know Jesus. 
And I know the local church is God's plan to do that. Together, collectively, we can do that. You see, are we just checking boxes? Or are we, is it an overflow of our love towards God? Let me ask it to you plainly. Is your commitment to Jesus more about obligation or is it about devotion? Obligation or devotion? You see, it can't be if I do this or that. It must be that we wake up going, I can't wait to see what Jesus does in my life today. Is Jesus your first priority or do you attempt to squeeze him into your daily life? See, it's a heart check. This is what Jesus is doing. If we're going to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, it leaves no room for compromise here when it comes to our love and our devotion. The first disqualification of a disciple is one who's not willing to hate their mother, brother, sister in comparison to their love. They're, they're compromising their love towards Jesus. The second disqualifier comes right after that in verse 27. If you look, Jesus says this. He says, look, anyone who's saying they're not willing to bear their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying is, look, we can't compromise when it comes to the sacrifice. Now, that word sacrifice can be tricky. But what we have to understand is one of the products of a devotion to Jesus is going to be a sacrifice. It's a product of our devotion. So if we're going, hey, are you just telling me I have to give more in order to be successful in this? No. We have to come back to the devotion. The devotion leads to the sacrifice. We can't get those wrong. Otherwise, we go back to just checking boxes. We can't get those wrong. The, the, the product of devotion is sacrifice. Now, when Jesus is talking about a cross here, many times we, we underplay the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. In context, what Jesus is talking about is this would have been someone who was literally carrying a beam on their shoulders. This would have been a criminal of sense who was punished to die. They would have this cross, they would walk through the city, and they would be mocked, and they would be looked down upon because they had done something wrong. It would be some kind of public humiliation on their way to death. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this idea of the cross is your life is over as you know it. No more dreams, no more plans, no more ideas of what you want to do. This was your final step. This was it. This was the idea behind the cross. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this idea because many of us have never been put in that place. In 1999, I enlisted in the United States Army. A young guy, I went in, I raised my right hand, and you take this oath that you are going to you know, commit yourself to the United States Army. What I didn't know was what that oath meant. I didn't know that it was, hey, you no longer have a say in what you do with your time. What? I can't just go do what I want on the weekends? No, you have duty. You now have to, you know, you sit in a, sit in a chair and watch people go in and out of the building. What are you talking about? In fact, you know, I was almost charged with an Article 15. If you don't know what that is, basically it's a big discipline problem. 
You get lose rank, you lose pay, and all these things. And here's what I almost got in trouble for. Damaging military property. Now, I've flipped tanks. I've done all, those are all stories for different things in the military. But this was because I got a sunburn. A sunburn was considered damaging military property. All of a sudden, me raising my right hand took on a whole new concept. I was military property. I had surrendered everything. I, I was no longer in charge. They controlled my schedule. They just controlled my time. They controlled everything about me. I had basically surrendered for the next four years, the contract that I was, I had surrendered everything. And if I got a sunburn and couldn't perform my duties, I could get in trouble for damaging military property. Think about that. And listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing the military. I love, I'm, I'm proud to say I served in the military. But it's this concept that we often have trouble understanding what Jesus is saying here, but that's what he's saying. He's saying when you pick up your cross, when you, when you say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to commit everything to Jesus, what you're saying is you're dying to yourself. It's no longer about what you want. Again, we're not checking, by. it's not about giving up a few hours. It's not about, you know, you know spending a few, uh, you know, a few moments in the Bible reading it. It's not about giving up a little bit of money in the offering plate. It's about, it's about giving everything you have, surrendering everything in your life. Your dreams, your aspirations, your desires, everything to Jesus. When we pick up our cross, we leave our old life behind, including those plans, those aspirations. And you might be thinking, okay, this is getting a little bit challenging. But see, that's the way it gets when we start talking about picking up our cross. Because it starts hammering home on those things that are really dear to our hearts, the things we've been saving our money for, the things we've been you know, saving up our vacation time for. I'll say it this way. No one usually has an issue with God being God until his word begins to oppose the desires of our flesh. No one usually struggles with God being God and doing what he's doing until it's personal. And he starts tapping in on Oh, what this means for me is I, I, I may not be able to do this or that. I may, you know, because of my devotion, again, don't get them backwards. It's the love, my devotion to Jesus that produces a heart of sacrifice. That's why Jesus says, look, count the cost. Like a builder building a tower or, or someone going out and leading an army. Consider what you're saying here. When you follow me, it's a surrender of everything, my time, my talent, my treasures, my life. We are called to more. Let me tell you, this is an encouraging word because what it means is, look, when I give it all to God, when I surrender everything to Jesus, it changes the way I live my life. It actually brings about more freedom than I could ever imagine. And I get this, I begin to get this mindset that as long as I have air in my lungs and blood in my veins, I have a purpose to fulfill. God wants to call me into something and be a part of something bigger than myself. I can't waste the time we are given. You can't waste the time that you are giving. Following Jesus comes with great sacrifice. 
It's daily picking up our cross, daily dying to ourselves, daily choosing to surrender everything to him. See, if we're going to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, we can't afford to compromise. And this is where the compromising is difficult because it's personal. It starts hitting on those things that are really, really personal. That's the second disqualifier. There's one more. Look what he says in verse 30. Jesus kind of encompasses everything, and he says this. If you're unwilling to renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. There's a compromising loyalty. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, there's no easy way to get around what he's saying. Look, if you are not willing to renounce everything, you cannot be my disciple. You have to relinquish, abandon everything and make him your top priority. Many times in the life we paint this picture that is Jesus plus this is what brings about happiness and joy and success. It's Jesus, I have to have Jesus in my life, but I also have to have this. But what if the other thing goes away and you only have Jesus? Will you abandon Jesus for that? Again, the pendulum, will it swindle? Will it swing? We must fight the temptation to say, God, I have to have this or that. And here's the thing when it comes to this. It comes to this loyalty. You know, when we begin to see, okay, maybe it's not working out the way I think, should, I think things should work out. Anybody been in that spot where you're like, God, what are you doing? Anybody ever been there? Anybody? Maybe just me. I see some heads nodding, but nobody wants to raise their hand. That's okay. You've been there. God, what are you doing? I don't understand why this is not working out. Or the question we often hear is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could find it, outline it, say, this is why. But here's the truth of the matter. When it comes down to this, it comes down to one question. Do you trust God? Do you truly trust God? Because see, here's the thing. When it comes to loyalty, when it comes to abandoning everything for this one thing, there has to be a sense of trust. I brought a puzzle in today. One of my kids' puzzles, okay? It's a Black Panther Marvel puzzle here. I got a puzzle. This is a 500-piece puzzle. Now, when you get a puzzle with 500 pieces and they come and they have these little tiny pieces in here like this, right? What's the first thing you do, right? What's the first thing you do, huh? How many of you guys think, hey, get the edges? Everybody, yeah, okay, everybody's with me. Everybody's like, yeah, that's how you do a puzzle. I got you. Do the edges. Wrong. Wrong. You're wrong. How many of you guys, when you open a box of puzzles with 500, 1,000, you count all the pieces first? You laugh and no one says they count. You know why you don't count? Because you actually trust that the manufacturer put all the pieces in the puzzle. You trust. Now listen, here's where it gets interesting. Your life is a bunch of puzzle pieces. And it's thousands of them. And here's what you would rather know. You'd rather know where all these pieces go before you're willing to trust. You'd rather know Oh, I gotta build the edges first. I gotta, this is where your trust comes in is oh, if I can see it, then I'll take a step of faith. 
But what if God says, look, you just got to trust me. All the pieces are there. I got you. I got you. All the pieces are there. I promise you. It's all going to work out. Hey, listen, these are promises from Scripture. All the pieces are there, and you're looking for the edge. I got to see it, God. Got to show me the edge. You've heard it. I, if it if the door seems closed. Well, sometimes that door is closed, and it's not locked. All you have to do is turn the knob, but we're looking for a wide-open door. God says, hey, I just want you to take a step of faith. Turn the knob. It's open. But we build this concept. The door's not wide open. One of the things I learned in church planning very quickly, the door's not always wide open. Sometimes you've got to turn the knob. It's a trust thing. You will quickly abandon God when life gets difficult if you don't completely trust God. So I ask you again, do you trust God with your time, with your talents, and yes, your money, your treasure. You see, if we're going to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, we can't compromise. We have to have full allegiance to Jesus. Now, I've mentioned time, talent, and treasure, and you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with growing? Does this really have anything to do with growing our time, our talent, our generosity, and our time, our talent, and treasure? I would say it has everything to do with growing your time, talent, and treasure because of this. Your generosity, our generosity, is directly connected to our devotion to Jesus. Our generosity is directly connected to our devotion to Jesus. If we're compromising, usually the fault is in our devotion to Jesus, how close we're willing to follow. We're probably loving something we shouldn't be loving. We're holding on to something we should be sacrificing. We're searching for something more than just Jesus to fulfill. Guess what? Guess what follows? Our time, our talent, and our treasure. But when Jesus is it, changes, changes everything. You see, there's a reason why in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Seek first Jesus. Seek first his kingdom. There's a reason why in Philippians 4, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but rather with prayer, submit them to God. You see, it's when we truly know who he is. We're all, we're all in for Jesus. We begin to see there's more to life. And it actually frees us. We're empowered then to take risks we might not be willing to take otherwise. We're empowered to step out in faith. You see, these are disqualifiers of what it means to follow Jesus. But in case you're looking at yourself and going, man, if I look in the mirror and I'm honest with myself, I struggle here. I want to give you a couple, just real quickly, a few things to encourage you to be more generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure. First thing is this, Jesus' unwavering love. Jesus' unwavering love. Romans 8, chapter, 30, chapter 8, verse 38, Paul says this, I am sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is unwavering for you. No matter where you are, no matter, Jesus did what ultimately we could not do for ourselves. His love for us is not based on anything you do or don't do. His love for us is based solely on what he's done and what he's accomplished. So it's not about checking boxes. See, the Bible's very clear. We all deserve death. The wages of sin, our wrongdoings, is death. We deserve to be separated from God forever. But God said, I don't want it to be that way. And that's when he sent Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. When we're so overwhelmed with Jesus' love towards us, we respond with love towards him. We must be overwhelmed with his love towards us. So overwhelmed that it changes every aspect of our life. So Jesus' unwavering love. The second thing is this, Jesus' unwavering sacrifice. You see, Jesus, the Bible teaches Jesus did, again, what we couldn't do for ourselves. In fact, the Bible teaches us that while we were still sinners, while we were still walking in rebellion to God, with God, towards God, Jesus came and died on our behalf, paying for the sins, the wrongdoings, before we'd ever turned to him. This is the ultimate gift. And when we're so overwhelmed with what he's done, we will gladly open our hands and sacrifice. We gladly begin to release the things that we're holding on to in a matter of worship and saying, God, you deserve everything because of what you've done and what you've accomplished on my behalf. I want to take just a second here help you understand something really, really important. One of the top things that Jesus talked about and taught on in Scripture is the aspect of money. He talked a lot about money. Why do you think that is? Of all the things Jesus could have taught on, why was one of the top things he taught on outside of the kingdom? Money. You know why? Because money, he knew money will be one of the hardest things for mankind to surrender. It's the hardest, the most difficult things. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, look, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When it comes to this sacrifice part, we may be willing to give some of our time. We may be able to give a lot of our talents. That's usually the first thing that comes Hey, I'll come open a door and greet people or things like that. But listen, the money part is mostly the, mostly the difficult thing for people to give. Why is that? Because it's the things we hold closest to our chest. You can't serve God and money. But when we look through the lens of Jesus' unwavering sacrifice, what he's done on our behalf, And we're so overwhelmed with that. The free gift that he's provided for us that we do not deserve, we begin to relinquish and say, okay, you can have it all. You can have it all. And the last thing is this. I want to encourage you with is this. Jesus' unwavering loyalty. (laughs) Again, be honest, sacrifice can be scary, right? 
It can be scary to step out on faith and sacrifice. But look at what Matthew chapter 13, 44 says. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this. It's a parable. In one verse, Jesus teaches a lot. But here, I'm going to read this parable, this short parable to you. It says this, one verse, 1344, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. So a man find this, finds this treasure hidden in a field, and he covers it up. Then it says this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has in order to buy the field. Now, the point of the parable is not that he's buying this because salvation is not up for sale. The point of this parable is this, is that Jesus, the kingdom of God, is worth losing everything for. And in great joy, that person is willing to go give joy. Sometimes we look at sacrifice and we miss the joy part. There's a great joy in saying, hey, I'm giving everything to God. And you know why we can do that? Because of Jesus' unwavering love. Jesus' unwavering loyalty towards us. The Bible teaches very clearly, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is a loyal, loyal God we have. Friends, if we're going to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure, there can be no room for compromise. No room for compromise. Now, as we close today... I don't know where you stand with your walk with Jesus. In a room this size with this many people in it, there's a, probably a wide variety of ways that, that, you know, where people are in their walks with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're going, hey, maybe there is a little bit of compromise in my life. And I've been compromising with my time, my talents, and my treasure. Today you have a choice. You can either take this and go, man, this is, I'm going to walk away from this and going to act like I didn't show up. Honestly, there's a lot of people who follow Jesus who were told in Scripture walked away because of the hard things Jesus was saying. Don't walk away. Lean in. Ask God to help you to be reminded of his love and his loyalty and his sacrifice. And may that be the overwhelming spring in your life that changes the way you live your life. But maybe you're here today going, okay, you're talking about time, talent, and treasure, and I'm not even sure I know where I stand with Jesus. I don't even know if I really believe everything the Bible says. Maybe you're here today and you're at a crossroads in your life and you're trying to figure out if Jesus is the next step. I want to encourage you today that God loves you that God sent his one and only son to die to pay the penalty that you deserve to pay. And for those who are willing to surrender to him, he is loyal, he is faithful, he will always come through. Regardless of where you are today, I wanna encourage you, may God empower you to live like you've never lived before. If you have questions of faith, if you have questions about you're walking with Jesus, questions about being generous and how you can be generous, I want to encourage you, head over to the next steps of the area in the back. Someone will be there after the service. But let me pray for us as we leave today. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring so, so much about us. God, a difficult topic is understanding how to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. God, I pray that you would encourage and equip your church to be the most radically generous church here in Jacksonville. 
move in our hearts and do the work that only you can do. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.